Hello everyone, I'm Naomi Kerbel and I'm delighted to welcome you to this Talking Cop Twitter Spaces hosted by Bankers for Net Zero, where we'll be getting into the nitty gritty of what COP27 in Egypt has really been like and what has really been achieved. Heather Buchanan, the CEO of Bankers for Net Zero, is going to be part of the conversation, as well as Elliot Syriax is going to be joining us. He is the strategy and operations lead for Bankers for Net Zero. Now, without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Elliot to tell us a little bit more about Bankers for Net Zero and how we got to COP. Well, thanks, Naomi. Thank you very much for that. And thanks very much for helping organize this fantastic session. Um, we've never used uh, a Twitter spaces before, so I think that it's a, be a fantastic way to keep the conversation going. So Bankers for Net Zero is the UK country chapter of the Net Zero Banking Alliance. And what we do is we look at the global commitments that banks made at COP26 under GFANS, which is the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, and NZBA, the Net Zero Banking Alliance, and try and translate those commitments into tangible action that banks can take that takes into account UK policy and the regulatory framework. So what we do is we look at the areas of the UK economy that we think that banks can have the most meaningful impact on the transition to net zero and really trying to clear those potential roadblocks on the path to net zero for banks operating in the UK. We work with a lot of different stakeholders and a lot of different areas of expertise. And we've got some of those stakeholders uh, listening in, so we're going to pull them in as well in a moment. We do, we do. And we sort of look at combined different areas of expertise, which is business, banking and policy, and really ground sort of those collaborations and really ground those conversations with a multi-stakeholder approach, which allows us to sort of push forward um, some really ambitious and really strategic um, policy ambitions. So um, I know you've got to jump off now, Elliot, and actually let some of these brilliant people convert from listening to speaking. So while you're doing that, um, I'd love to bring in some of our partners because we were working out in Sharm El Sheikh with Rewired Earth, the British Business Bank, Icebreaker One and many others. And we've got some of those on the line now. I'd like to start off with Paul Goodenough, who is part of Rewired Earth and also rewriting Extinction. Paul, just give me a sense, first of all, for those listening, what what was COP like for you? Because are you still out there or you just come back? <laughs> no, I'm very much still here. So for me, COP has been a roller coaster. It I mean the, the actual the organization and the physical kind of the, the, the machinations of how you get places and get around uh, Sharm El Sheikh has been exhausting to say the least. But within those moments, there's actually been some incredible conversations and partnerships. And for me, I think that is the, the, the kind of the, the unseen factor of COP27. It's not just the news that comes out and not just the policies you hear that, that kind of get the headlines. It's the connections you make between businesses, peoples and activists. Those relationships are what, for me, will change the world. So in terms of your relationship, Rewired Earth's relationship with Bankers for Net Zero, how does it work? For me, I think the relationship is, is both transactional, but also deep in that as a partnership. So on one hand, we have what we're doing at Rewired Earth, which is monitoring the impact, the, the measurable impact that businesses and programmes 
and campaigns have on the planet. And what we do is we measure each of those things against the 17 UN SDGs. So you can actually quantify whether a particular program or business is actually doing good for the planet or doing harm. So at kind of a transactional level, that's how the relationship works. We can give the quantifiable evidence that, that backs up what Bankers for Net Zero are doing. But deeper than that is what I believe that is at the core of what we need to do, which is actually work together. And we need to start celebrating not just the, the kind of the known activists in this space, the, the Greta Thunbergs and the Vanessa Lacartes. They're doing wonderful work, of course. But we also need to celebrate when businesses and governments are actually doing the right moves and they're actually putting their hearts and their money where their mouth is. That also needs to be a cause of celebration. So, yeah, to me, I think the partnership is actually deeper than just a transactional one. It's also about good people doing good things. Julia Groves from the British Business Bank. You have been heavily involved with Bankers for Net Zero, but more recently, can you tell us about your partnership? The British Business Bank is all about access to finance for SMEs. It's all about trying to keep diversity in the financial ecosystem and reduce imbalances for communities and parts of the country in terms of you know any barriers to funding is a barrier to innovation and growth and actually to the transition. So what was wonderful was to find a, a gang of like-minded people who want to get a very pragmatic approach and come up with just some uh, areas that we can work together to actually you know get started, take the first step, whether that's data and reporting or emissions management. And it was brilliant. I think I really enjoyed the time. It was wonderful to have the studio. It was a great little kind of footprint for us all to have as a basis of conversations with, you know, Grant Chaps and and various others. So I've come back from Bank, done the blog, um, fully enthused about what we can actually get done together. You know, I think a a hefty chunk of fear uh, of the challenges that lie ahead and the global nature of them and the extent to which things are beyond our control. But what I feel is within control of this group of people with this amount of passion and focus is to make sure that we can get the smaller players started because the urgency, I think, is the most important thing. The perfect can be the enemy of the good, but with this gang of people and with enough collaboration, I think we can start the SMEs on this journey so that they can be part of the solution and they do have access to the opportunity um, and aren't left behind. We're very much about that just transition. I definitely want to talk a bit more about the SME work stream in a moment, but uh, we've got some people on the spaces today who were doing a huge amount behind the scenes. We've got Hattie, Megan and Imogen. Hattie, can I come to you first? What was the COP experience for you? Yeah, so coming from a parliamentary perspective, it was uh, often you are in your little bubble (laughs) here in Westminster. So it was really good to see what's going on, not just in the UK, but globally across COP and all the different countries that were attending. There's some incredible innovation that's going on. We, we, my particular favourite was going past a stand where there was a big tank of fish and there was this these black pellets that were kind of being put into the water and removing pollutants from the water. They didn't need replacing, they didn't need updating, they would just, they would just go on forever and ever removing pollution. And it was just, it was amazing to see how much is going on around the world. I would probably echo Paul's comments about logistics-wise, the the actual conference itself probably could do with a bit of work to just to tie in with the whole message of sustainability. I think that was a little bit lost with the conference itself in terms of the actual site, the actual methods of getting to the conference, uh, recycling, everything like that. So I would probably, I, I assume a lot of people on this call would probably agree with that hopefully yeah the the total lack of vegetarian food (laughs) just as an example 
yeah so um but overall overall positive experience I absolutely loved the week it was fantastic to meet everyone and yeah as I say there's so much going on that and you often with sustainability and climate change you just hear the negatives on the news and it was really good to see what's going on in a positive sense. Imogen, Megan, Megan you in particular had a tricky time out there and had to take some get some medical care do you want to expand a little bit on that? Yeah um, so it's been a bit of a whirlwind for me um, which I think is an understatement the Egyptian mosquitoes are my biggest fan so I ended up in the the cop hospital in the first few days but you know along with everyone else's comments on organization and and how it's been I just like I just like to say particularly um my biggest takeout from this is the creativity and the the amazing ideas and innovation which has really shone through I think there are some really fantastic people that have come to cop uh, with so much to offer and it's really really been great to collaborate with so many different people from so many different industries Imogen, anything you want to add? Yeah, so look, I came with a couple of different hats on. I think the biggest thing I took away was as a local councillor, I've met so many innovative businesses that actually work with local authorities in terms of analysing potholes via AI, different sorting mechanisms for garbage trucks um, and different ways of identifying leaks in water pipes and then turning that into a kinetic energy source and these are things that you know they've blown my mind really and it is actual work that's going on and it isn't the stuff we hear about day to day but it is really fascinating so I found the whole experience very worthwhile. In terms of turning commitments into action perhaps I can come back to you Julia. Did you get a sense that that was happening in terms of the world's wealthiest nations and financiers turning commitments into action? Well, I think because it was such an impressive outcome, really, from COP26, I was giggling slightly at Boris Johnson appearing mostly just to talk at COP27 about how good COP26 had been when he was in charge. But I think we saw a lot of commitments there. I mean, look, there's a mix listening to the South African situation, for example, where they'd understood they'd got, what was it, eight plus billion dollars from the US to try and wean themselves off coal as quickly as possible. I mean, it's the vast majority, I think, of their power is coal derived. And then I heard them talking a little bit more about how, in fact, it wasn't eight billion, it was sort of 90 odd billion. And they hadn't quite understood that the, the finance on offer was a combination of, sort of grant type and loan type finance. So, some of it's a bit alarming in terms of the absolute scope and, and size um, of what is needed. And, uh, but I do think um, the, the loss and damages is a very, very tricky argument. And I think difficult for people to buy into, you know, yes, absolutely. In Northern Hemisphere, more developed countries exploited fossil fuels, which, you know, powered the Industrial Revolution from which we've all benefited and, and, and later developed countries haven't had that opportunity. But I, I wouldn't say that that was sort of knowingly done and what the side effects would be. So words like reparations, I think, are extremely emotive and, and, and difficult and potentially divisive. Um, I think what is more pragmatic is, is forward looking and understanding just what the challenges are for some of these developing countries where they haven't had the, the benefit and they're having all of the downside, you know, in terms of drought and flooding and impact on crops and dealing with migration, etc. You know, you know, 20% of GDP in some African countries being spent just trying to get people out of trouble. So I do think that if you're in a situation like that in a developed country with significant social challenges and you have a resource which is oil or coal, and particularly if you've got oil, coal or gas, which are all forms of energy, of course, which can be exported, which is less easy with renewables, 
you know, I'm, I'm hearing sort of anecdotally, yeah, we know there's no way we can do coal in 20 years, but we can do it in 10 years and we desperately need the money. So if you don't want us to do it, put your hands in your pockets. So, so I don't know. I'm trying to be positive. It looks quite daunting. It looks quite big. I, I, it's either going to make or break us. Paul's got his hand up. Paul. It was just to basically just to build on top of what Julia was was mentioning there. And I think you, you actually made a really, really valuable point that a lot of people miss out on, that actually the, the issue is the opportunity. While the fossil fuels are in ground, that's an opportunity that's being missed by a lot of developed nations and developing nations. And I, I just wanted to just just basically thank you, Julia, for just making such a, a clearly made point, because there's so much misunderstanding and lack of understanding over how you know, the, the economics of climate change is also being affected by this for example hindu was um, speaking the other day about how you know money doesn't always dribble down to the right levels it, it stops at certain points and i think that we all need to find better ways in a very urgent in a very urgent sense of keeping those fossil fuels in the ground while also not denying the opportunities that we have benefited from. So it was just really just to build on what Julia was saying, because I think it was a very valuable point. I think that both of those points are incredibly valuable. And I'm just looking towards the future. I'd like to bring in Rob Gardner, because I think that we can hear you now, Rob. But building on this year's negotiations, what do you hope will be achieved over the next 12 months? A couple of observations. Being back in the UK and then looking at COP27 through the eyes of someone at home it's very different so there you've got forty-five thousand people who understand the science of climate change understand the history of how we got here and understand the economics and i suppose what's disappointing is a just how little coverage this global problem is getting b the lack of uh public awareness and c when there is awareness i think there's a perception that cops are more like some kind of Davos event was they couldn't be further from the truth as we've heard about the reality of it and what you don't see are the thousands of civil servants from all over the world from 196 countries engaging in some seriously complex negotiation uh, and building consensus from you know how do we uh, keep coal in the ground or keep fossil fuels in the ground but have the time you know not kind of knock some of these countries off at the knees from an economic perspective? How do we think about natural capital and offsetting and, uh, and, 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 developing, uh, and developing those markets? And just to echo what's already been said, the, the, the level of innovation has been amazing. Just my, my favourite was new cement that is not only carbon, carbon neutral to make, but once you build a home, it's like a giant sponge and it carries on sucking CO2 out the air. So it's actually kind of carbon, uh, carbon sucking, carbon capturing, uh, cement and so look what what needs to be done last year i think the cop ended and everyone was disappointed because it was all about keeping this kind of idea of one and a half degrees c alive and i know going in there was this big debate and say look it's kind of not you know there's probably only a five percent chance of us making it i think the danger is once you shift it to two or push it back then people take their foot off the uh, off the accelerator. And, and I just don't think that that's a good thing. We need to do everything we possibly can to get as close to one and a half degrees C as long as possible. And if that's 1.6 or 1.7, and if we hit that in 2060, 
or that, that that's still that's still a good thing. We need to be all in on on making this happen. So look, we know from everyone on this call, the technology and ideas are there. Actually, the funding and finance is there. What we need is leadership to create the incentives uh, to happen, and we need behaviour change. And actually, that can, comes from every single listener. Every one of us is either an employee or an entrepreneur, a parent. Uh, has kids, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, lives in a country where you can vote. And what we can do as consumers, I think, does influence our politicians, does influence the companies that we work for. And so next year's COP, I think, is all about holding people to account. It's about holding up that mirror and saying which countries did what, which companies did what, which industries did what, shine a light and celebrate those who are doing fantastic work and call out those that are not, you know, are not doing enough. Can I just say that's absolutely perfect. I love that. And um, can I also ask a really stupid question? Just I want to ask a question that hopefully some people listening won't know the answer to either so that I can then pretend I'm asking on their behalf. <laughs> you, you made the comparison between Davos and COP. Perhaps you can just quickly just explain what is the difference between something like Davos and what is the difference between something like COP? Well, so I've never been to Davos, but Davos is held by the World Economic Forum and it's typically companies and politicians gather in in switzerland in in a obviously a very nice resort in switzerland and and talk about all kinds of issues environment uh, economics social issues but i think the key point is that it's organized by the world economic forum and it's really a sort of sponsored you know the people going there sponsor their tents i suppose it it, it has probably garnered a bit of an image of yeah look at all these sort of wealthy businesses and wealthy people going to a nice ski resort and talking about how we should save the planet and I suppose then gets tarnished and labelled with a kind of global elite problem. What I'm t- COPs, as the name suggests, this is the 27th COP. There were 45,000 people. I'm not sure 45,000 people get to Davos. And there are 196 countries there who arrive with all of their civil servants to engage, debate and get in complex negotiations. So behind the scenes, there were giant marquees with rooms, 196 rooms, whether it was for China or Gabon or DRC or UK or Australia. Each one of these rooms was the same size. So it wasn't like outside where you could buy a big stand like the UAE or you could have a small stand. Every single country had their own room where they could go back, gather their notes, have their discussions before going back into the room. So what I'm trying to tell you is that these COPs, the Conference of the Parties, is a place where not just heads of state, but actual real civil servants behind the scenes engage in some seriously important negotiation. And it's not just what what is perceived to be at WEF a talking shop. And I don't know about how you feel, but I, again, I know I've probably made this point already on the call, but I actually think that, that I was really happily pleased and blown away by the by the good feeling and the good intention of any number of businesses that I've met. And I think, as I said before, you know, the, the activists often are the headlines, but actually some of the businesses are doing some incredible things. I am thrilled to see that we've got Rewired Earth, um, Rue Pierce here, who's uh, the co-founder of that. Rue, I'm, I'm really keen to come to you to get your sense of how things went and what you hope will be achieved in the next 12 months, building on this year's negotiations. I, I think an overwhelming sense of positivity, and I think it builds on some of the stuff Paul and Rob and Julia were saying as well. I think the market recognises now that, that 
businesses, when we talk about five trillion a year that needs to be spent on on climate action and, and sustainability, a significant portion of that money needs to come from business and comes from CEOs and boardrooms. And I think the overwhelming feeling that I had from this COP is that they really want to invest in the change. They really want to invest in sustainability. And I guess what we're, what we're trying to do at Rewired Earth is create that demand signal. So what do investors, consumers and employees really care about when it comes to sustainability? And if we create that demand signal loud enough, strong enough, then it gives CEOs, it gives boardrooms the mandate to change and it gives them the mandate to really invest in sustainability. And it to stop becoming a philanthropic action or a regulatory burden, but actually by investing in sustainability, you get more customers, you get more talent within your businesses and your share price actually goes up. So for, for me, the really exciting thing is I think we have gone beyond words now and I think companies are starting to think about how they can take action. The next 12 months leading up to COP28 is how can we collaborate? How can we work with Bankers for Net Zero and other organisations, other not-for-profits, other businesses, other governments to really come together and start designing the solutions that can transform our planet? Because we all know 1.5 degrees is going to be incredibly difficult right now. But if we're going to hit that, then we all need to start working together. We need to put egos aside and we need to figure out how we can come together and create the solutions that are really going to turn the market into the most protective force on the planet. So I'm, I'm, I know I get very excited, but I think there's a huge opportunity now for everyone to come together and start working together on this. And, and I think that's, that's my overwhelming feeling from COP. Thank you so much, Rui. That was really helpful. And we've got um, Alex Sobel. Uh, Labour MP for Leeds Northwest on Twitter Spaces now. Alex, a question for you. What's your perspective of how national legislatures rather than governments can help, i.e. backbench MPs? They have more freedom to speak their mind in some way and, and therefore you might say have more power. I mean, absolutely, and not just to speak, but also in terms of amendments to bills. So at the moment, for instance, we've got the... Um, Competition and Markets Act going through Parliament, coming back for report stage. I know that Chris Grayling is putting down an amendment which will look at trying to ensure that the City of London isn't financing deforestation. That's exactly the sort of brilliant work that backbenchers can do cross-party to try and nudge the financial sector in the direction of net zero, in the direction of being nature positive and not adding to nature depletion like deforestation or to fossil fuel production like funding oil refineries, for instance. Alex, such a good point. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm going to hand over to Heather, who I know that we now have off the back of a very important meeting, the final stages of COP trying to get stuff done. And, uh, and I know that you're going to kindly wrap up for us. It's been fantastic listening into this. I really have to echo what everybody's been saying about the uh, feeling kind of more hope than anything else than this. And and if I'm honest, being just quite in awe about the caliber and the, of ingenuity and people that that we've met over the last two weeks. So we're really looking forward to to COP28. So um, I guess from my very last thoughts is um, thanks to everyone for tuning into this Twitter Spaces Live, hosted by Bankers for Net Zero. And to find out more about the work we're doing and to gauge with all the videos and podcasts we've done whilst out in COP, including a sit-down with the Business Secretary um, of State, Right Honourable Grant Shops, go to bankersfinetzero.co.uk. 
over and out. You've been listening to Talking Cop from Bankers for Net Zero.